I am so excited for today's episode. I can't even begin to tell you. I love Joe Beale, and I'm pretty sure after listening to this episode that you're going to love her too. Joe started off as a coaching client of mine years ago, and we've become really, really great friends. She's been on an incredible journey in the time that I've known her, and I love her honesty, her real sense of authenticity, of not shying away from hard work. She's always inquisitive. She's always looking to find answers to things, often some deep, painful things. And I couldn't have anyone else on my episode uh, of my first interview. Apologies for the sound quality on this podcast episode. We had real issues um, getting a decent sound quality. Um, And we started recording this about an hour and a half after we initially first attempted it. So stick with it. It does go in and out a little bit sometimes, but she's really, really worth listening to. So I'd love to hear your feedback on this, this episode. And I want to introduce you now to Joe Beale. Hi, Joe. Hi, Bridget. Again. What is this? (laughs) Take five? I think we're meant to pretend that this is the first time. Yeah. But because we're both authentic chicks, we're not. We're on about take five, everyone. Uh, Uh, We're doing a great job of making our voices sound like, here's the first one. (laughs) We we tried the first one. That didn't work because Joe's Wi-Fi wasn't behaving. Uh, Then we tried on the phone and then I asked her a question and she was silent. So we had to ditch that one. Then Joe climbed to the top of her house to get better 4G. But that didn't work either. So now we are recording on my video conferencing program and really, really hoping that we can download the audio file and upload it to podcasts. Otherwise, this is just really a fun evening asking the same questions over and over again. (laughs) But... They'll still surprise me, Joe, because one thing I know about you, Joe, is you can never be sure what's going to come out of your mouth. <laughs> you know what? That sounds like a year four report from school. Yeah. <laughs> I have that every year. Yeah. I used to get, Bridget needs to use her inside voice a bit more. I used to get, Joe should not try to distract those around her and should focus on her own work. <laughs> I mean... Now we've got Instagram for that, haven't we? Now it's my work. (laughs) Can you remember the first time we met, Jo? Um, If I say no, does it make me sound bad? No, it doesn't. (laughs) Well, it's really strange you should ask that question because I was just wondering exactly the same thing about you. Do you remember the first time you met me? I remember seeing you standing at the back of a Zumba class and scowling. Right. Yeah, I was scowling at you. Excellent. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I mean, you didn't just scowl. You know, like, you know, when you go to a function and you look around the room and there's some real party animal woman and she's dragged her other half to the function and he's standing there looking stony faced. That was you. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I... I kind of had a bit of a stinker of an attitude uh, back in the day regarding a number of things. Mm. Um, and one of those things was fitness. Yeah. And the one was um, 
what I perceive to be forced happiness. Yeah. Um, uh, also, anyone who could do anything better than me, and you are a pretty <laughs> shit dancer, so um, you kind of had the edge quite a lot. Also, you had a really nice tan, which is not something I've ever really cultivated very well. Um, so yeah, there was stink eye there, and <laughs> I, I'm sorry about that in hindsight. <laughs> um, also you just were a stunningly beautiful vision and in the past something I have struggled with uh, is my own relationship with other women and uh, feelings of intimidation and that sort of thing and I found you to be quite overwhelmingly intimidating from that perspective and that's when why you I met me and now you know the real me Joe. <laughs> And also I've dealt with a lot of those things. <laughs> well, I want to tell it. The reason I asked this is because I want to tell everyone that going from someone who not only stood at the back of room in, and exercised and was very, very scared to present herself, to um, let anyone see her exercise, you know, the list goes on. Mm -hmm. What did you then do as a job a couple of years later? <laughs> <laughs> well interestingly i then became a fitness instructor uh which uh, then led to me becoming a personal trainer mm. and what do you think i mean we're going to delve into your story a bit but what do you think the switch was between looking at other fitness presenters and hating the world and then becoming one yourself um i think a lot of it had to do with acknowledging fear mm -hmm. instead of buying into it um, and realizing that a lot of the way that I was feeling was more to do with being afraid of either succeeding or failing mm -hmm. um, but also that that sense of not belonging to any of those groups was more to do with me not trying to be in them <laughs> so you know, I felt rejected from a place I'd never actually stepped into. Really interesting. But don't you think that happens a lot, especially with dancey based fitnesses? There's like a tribe of people that turn up to these classes. And when I was teaching, I always used to make a point of going to talk to people that either looked a bit scared or they were, they'd come on their own because I think it's one of the most intimidating environments to go into. I think, um, I mean, speaking from that particular place in the past, for me, any environment which was wholly or at least predominantly um, filled with women mm. was very, very challenging for me. Um, because I think as women, we're actually taught to actively judge each other and base the way that we feel on our judgment of everyone around us. And so when you had that change and you decided to become a fitness instructor and presenter, which is a big thing, <laughs> what did you have to tell, what story did you have to tell yourself to make that different? Well, you know, as you know, uh, there was a lot going on at the time because you were helping me with a lot of those issues that I was having, mm. not just with relating to other people, but also relating to myself and dealing with a lot of the issues that I had around my body and my habits mm -hmm. um, and finding that place where I wasn't constantly judging myself 
made the world of difference when it came to letting other people in or um being able to um oh what's the word oh no i've come all brain party um, i think well i think for you the the turning point was allowing yourself to be seen yes yeah you know that kind of fear of visibility is a, a massive massive problem i think a lot of the time but also it seemed to go hand in hand with a fear of invisibility yeah. so you know on the one hand i was so scared that i would never find my place in the world but i didn't want to put my head above the parapet and say hey this is me yeah in case everyone said well what the hell are you doing here who do you think you are yeah i think you'll find you're in the wrong place mm. yeah um fatty mcjiggly bits <laughs> that was your nickname then to yourself was it that's what that's never actually been my my nickname but <laughs> i kind of categorize phases of the past into certain uh, <laughs> certain areas no i did have an interesting uh nickname at school though which reflects a, a lot on how i think i perceived myself growing up um and that was jabba the hut no yeah yeah school fun times <laughs> well that leads me really nicely actually on to the fact that I really get the chills when I think about that first conversation you and I had about your weight loss journey. And one of the reasons I wanted to get you on this podcast, and I'm going to be very clear here, I'm not here to celebrate the fact that you are literally a quarter of the size that you used to be. Well, literally, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I think now we are placing too much emphasis on how people look. But for you, the change hasn't, I mean, it's been in your appearance, but more than that, it's actually been how, how you present yourself to the world. And you yeah. really are 100% authentic now. And when I think about that conversation where you were in tears and you were telling me about your history with food and your history with your weight and your unhappiness, it, of anyone I've ever coached, it makes what well, brings tears to my eyes and it actually gives me you know when all your hairs go up because when i look at you now i feel so proud of how far you come i've literally become your messiah i tell everyone about you so can you tell me about that first initial coaching call we had when you told me about your your history with your body well at that point the reason i contacted you was because I just didn't have anywhere else to turn. I mm. didn't, I didn't really know, you know, what on earth to do with this all encompassing problem that I felt, you know, it wasn't that I'd never lost weight before. And it wasn't that I didn't know or have the tools, you know, with which to kind of approach the issue. It was that it was so much in my head and I was so, wound up with the pain that all of my own bullshit was causing me um i just didn't know i didn't know where to go and i just thought it wouldn't hurt mm. and i think when you reach that point where you've <laughs> you've run out of options in your own mind yeah that's when that's the only point that you can reach an honest discourse with yourself if all you're used to doing is lying to yourself about 
the reasons that you do things, the way that you feel about things, you know, when every moment of your life is spent trying not to feel pain, you end up just going around in circles, telling yourself lies, living in denial, mm. like doing all of these things just to distract yourself from the fact that you feel really shitty about some really big stuff. And just starting just that first kind of flood of emotion where I actually allowed myself to feel things that that's when things really started to change in my mind yeah and you know it's it takes time it takes a really long time and sometimes you need to reflect and sometimes it needs to sink in but certainly you know I've reiterated this to you a number of times before that that moment was when my life changed Mm. you know I remember you saying to me and I, we were discussing that that was the actually the hardest point for you because you were so terrified of going back to your heaviest weight. And I can't, yeah. can you remind me how much that was? 21 stone. 21 stone. You were so worried about going back to that 21 stone, but you were also so fearful about taking the next step to what you actually really wanted that that was a very dangerous place for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you're torn between, um, well, when you're predominantly driven by fear, you yeah. don't have any space for um, a kind of loving self. You know, yeah. you can't, when you're 100% fear-based, you're not letting in anything that is going to nurture you or your, you know, your kind of true being. So all you're ever thinking about is, I can't do this. I'm desperate. I need, I need, need, need. And when you're in that state of need, there's no, there's no freedom to grow mm. because all you're doing is you're trapping things inside yourself. You know, it's, it's a real clawing, that desperation, you know, you need to be open and giving more out in order to actually be growing is how I feel about it. And it wasn't until I started, you know, offloading some of that onto you, <laughs> actually, you know, opening up instead of constantly trying to squash everything down because for me you know that's what my compulsive eating that's you know what lots of other um very addictive habits in my nature were doing you know Mm. just squashing constantly squashing Mm. and endlessly going round and round in circles trying not to feel instead of feeling growing dealing with stuff and pushing it out of the way you know and then moving on to the next thing what do you think fear is my big passion Mm. what what do you and it always has been what do you think is the first thing someone can do to take themselves out of fear that's wow that's an amazing question um i think it's because fear is a spectrum it's so hard to have one answer to that Mm -hmm. because you know, you have low level fear, which is constantly there and doesn't ruin your life, but is just your constant awareness. And you have other kinds of fear, which, you know, are acute and devastatingly crippling in a moment. And I think both need to be dealt with in, in different ways, but ultimately 
you know, I kind of always have had that sense that, you know, you're only ever motivated either by fear or by love. And I do think that you can balance the fear out mm-hmm. with love. And I don't mean like in a kind of gooey romantic way, no. but I mean that, you know, you, there needs to be compassion. You need to show yourself um, that wherever this fear is coming from, there is a way to address it, you know, that it, it's not without basis. There's always something which is driving you to fear. And you just kind of have to turn the car around and look it in the face, mm. you know. And, I, you know, I think when it comes to phobias and stuff, that's very different to that yeah. kind of emotional fear. Um, and obviously that kind of physical phobia reaction is very different to kind of those childhood-based fears that I, um, I've been doing quite a lot of reading actually about fear and addiction. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, past trauma can affect um, the way that we deal with things and the way that we try to escape from things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I do think everybody's fear of anything can be addressed. Yeah. But I do also think that it's a very individual process. And often somebody's character needs to be taken into account before you can have, you can't really have a uniform approach. No. But you do need, it, it's a, I do think compassion is the primary driver for yeah. addressing fear. Where do you think the fear was in 21 Stone Joe? Where did that come from in childhood, do you think? Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> um, you know, there is, there are, I, my parents moved around a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And um, so I kind of was pulled out of a lot of um, comfortable social situations and put into um, new, exciting situations, mm-hmm. you know, and it was always very much kind of like, oh, you're young, you'll make new friends, you know, that sort of thing. And um, I think that had a lot uh to do with how certain social anxieties uh, developed in my character, you know, and how um, I was driven to comfort eating cheese sandwiches in the library. (laughs) Um, Was it to quash the constant uncertainty? Uncertainty is, yeah, is a really big factor in terms of, um, feelings of insecurity and anxiety in my life yeah um and I do try I you know as well some of my other issues like kind of have have rooted from that trying to overcome that uncertainty because you can go the other way can't you you know you're trying trying so hard not to have an uncertain future that you make terrible terrible decisions (laughs) based on trying to just make things certain you know it's um until you actually locate the cause of the problem, yeah, you don't really seem to get anywhere because you're just trying to fight fire with fire in a way. Um, so yeah, you know, I had all that people and geographical movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there was no stability in my surroundings either. And I kind of replicated that as soon as I left home. So as soon as I left home, I then started moving around a lot myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I repeat the pattern. Um, deliberately because now 
you know, I'm in that routine where I actually don't know how to do anything else but behave in that way. Yeah. So um, then you, you know, you have those points of comfort that you reach. And for me, food um, was my number one, really, uh, from the age of about 15, um, because that was all I had. You know, when you, you make friends, you have a couple of years to, to become close, then they're taken away. You know, you kind of, you learn after a while, actually, why am I? Why am I becoming close to people when everybody is taken away? So then you stop forming close relationships and you form them with food as, instead, you know, like my number one buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know I did that with alcohol too so can we talk know. about alcohol for a second because uh yeah. your followers have been very very supportive about the fact that you very publicly entered sobriety yeah yeah um yes uh, only six months ago um but out of all the decisions I think I've made in the last 25 years that was definitely one of my best um so you know it's um I'm fully committed to that being a lifelong decision now. And I was always the person, you know, when, you know, when you're hungover, uh, first thing in the morning and everyone's like, Oh, I'm never, never drinking again, never drinking again. I adamantly not once ever used that phrase. Um, until, until the morning when I decided I really wasn't. And I, I knew at that moment that I, I definitely wasn't drinking again. Um, and yeah, I, I'm delighted, but it's again, like with the eating thing, it's daily. Um, I don't want to say battle because that makes it sound more like a chore. I actually feel like I'm honoring myself, um, looking after myself in a way that I never have done before, you know, but it is something that I have to do every single day and I have to put work into it and it needs addressing, you know, I cannot drink like a normal human being um in the same way i don't have a normal relationship with food and i need to be mindful of that every time i'm in food-based situations you know just um just because i look a different way doesn't mean that um i have you know suddenly become a radically healed cured person i I just pay a lot more attention to the things that my well-being needs now. And that's one of the things I really love about you. And that's, a, um, it's just reminded me of people make so many assumptions about people, whether they are overweight or underweight, that actually often have no basis in reality at all. Mm -hmm. So someone will look at someone who's overweight and say, well, they're just lazy uh, or, you know, they need to move more equally. And I have several very naturally slim friends who eat like a horse and are fed up with people saying, oh, well, it's all right for her. She probably, she probably makes herself sick. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I've only encountered quite recently, actually. Mm. I had, because I always was that person too. You know, when I was, when I was judging you from the back of that room, you know, I, I automatically assume that you're somehow showing off or you're smug. Um, when actually what I'm doing is I'm standing there thinking, oh, I wish I could dance like that. Yeah. And 
recently, you know, I've had people say things to me, you know, because they don't know my past. So they just judge me on the size that I am now. And I can't believe that I have in the same lifetime <laughs> been spat on in the streets for being too fat and also had people say, oh, well, I suppose you're going for a run because you're eating that ice cream, you know, or you're, you know, some like people are very, very free in using the word skinny to describe someone um, when they really have no idea about anything that they go through on a daily basis. Um, and I just kind of despair a little bit. I was having this conversation with someone today that I'd like to know at what point between nine stone and 21 stone was my weight okay for the rest of the world? Like, where is it on that spectrum where, where everyone doesn't have something to say about it? Or, you know, there's no criticism attached because, you know, one of the biggest things I've battled with is a sense of not fitting in, in my life. And, you know, it could be argued that the reason that I'm so passionate about my fitness and my well-being now is because I'm just trying to fit in somewhere else. And actually, am I fighting a losing battle? Because <laughs> it doesn't really seem to matter whether I'm eating donuts or salad, <laughs> someone's got something to fucking say about it. Um, and so isn't that just so sad? Because it makes me so mad that this freedom of speech thing has now got so bad because of social media, it's now socially acceptable to comment on someone else's body on an Instagram post, regardless how, of how we don't know what per issues that person has, what insecurities they have. Maybe they're posting a photo in their bikini and it's the first fucking brave thing they've ever done in their life only to open themselves up to a barrage of abuse. Yeah. Yeah. It's really sad. It's really, really sad. And, you know, I think it opens up a larger question as well of, you know, why, why are we encouraging this behavior where a woman's body is just unacceptable for, for being anything, you know? And as women, should we not be paying more attention to the fact that we're doing it to each other? Yeah. You know? And I've been, I've been the one doing it. And, you know, maybe there's some irony in the fact that now I'm kind of seeing it from another side, but I just, you know, through all of the years of being afraid to be around women, I now kind of really wish that I had more tools to deal with, you know, female friendships and um, supporting other women, you know, which is why I kind of try so hard. But again, it's one of those things that takes work. It takes work because it seems like that's the weird thing to do. But don't you think that whether we say it out loud or whether we keep it in our head, um, we've got this switch that goes off that does judge 
primarily based on our own fear every time every, every time every time yes absolutely 100 percent. yes it doesn't give us well, your question was an important one and i think it's not i don't think we should beat ourselves up for feeling that in our heads because i think that's natural we put ourselves up you know against a barometer of other people that's life men do yeah. it women do it children do it animals do it well that's kind of the point of the peer group isn't it in a lot of ways mm. the difference is keeping it in your head and either saying it out loud to someone on the street or writing some bullshit trolling comment on someone's post which i can't bear um there's the difference yeah yeah absolutely and everyone's always got something to say yeah you know you know i my six month sobriety was yesterday wow i got up and received a message <laughs> asking um why can't you just calm the fuck down you're only six months sober and i thought mm, yes six months isn't a huge amount of time in in even my lifetime, let alone the universe. But it's six months where I've been trying to improve myself in a certain specific way. And I have succeeded for those six months. And that, to me, is progress. That's my progress. Not yours, not somebody else you know walk in the street it's not you know johnny super sober who's now getting his 64 year chip right but that's not the point is it the point is i was supposed to see about me and you know i uh i love um listening to uh you know gary vaynerchuk yeah i love listening to his uh, rant about johnny pants 69 and the guy on the internet who who uh, has something to say about everyone and are you going to let that person dictate how you feel about your progress how you feel about your day how you feel about making the next move well, why would you he's just some twat on the internet talking shit um and i think the internet has made it a lot easier for people to hide behind that um wall of anonymity God, do you know how hard it is to say that word sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you're not drinking anymore, Joe, it's a lot easier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now I'm not always shit-faced on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could have made for an amusing interview, but... Um, I wanted to say, and leading on from that, that I've, I've always really admired you, even in your depths of not so nice joe should we just call her that because you I were think, nice i think i think that's that's a very uh, diplomatic way of putting it i uh, you know i think i've been through massive bitch faces but yeah mm -hmm. not so nice joe is probably a, a really nice way of putting it but what i've even then what i admired about you was your i guess your courage with me to always be straight and you always walk your talk even if that was when you were not so nice joe and you would you would literally say what you felt and some of it was really really harsh <laughs> but what i love and what i love now on your social media is that you really do say what's going on 
But going further than that, you're a very, very assertive communicator. Where's that come from? From someone that has a lot of fear, where's that assertiveness come from? Um, I would say, <laughs> um, bullshit. Um, without, without question. Um, there was a point I realised I didn't, I didn't have the strength to to do or say the things that I wanted to do or say and I got myself into a kind of fake it till you make it place where I just it, it was a little bit like tunnel vision where I just thought you know what if you can't do this right now you have to you have to just put on your game face just suck up the fact you can't do it and just keep bullshitting until it happens and I know that that is probably not the answer you wanted to hear but genuinely I couldn't have made it to where I am now in terms of authenticity without forcing myself to get something out um, that was a mask you know and it, it was it just uh, some days it was 24 7 um, that I, for my job, I needed to have a public face, you know, for the people that I dealt with, I needed to be motivating and positive and I needed to give them the things that they were paying me for. And, you know, there were, there were really low times when, um, being real in terms of hello, I'm massively depressed, <laughs> wasn't going to wash in a Zumba class, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, you know, that was one of the things that teaching fitness really helped me with was to put on my big girl pants, even when I was struggling. And there have been times when I've overstepped that line and I've gone too far into bullshit land where it kind of it's like i'm so great this is the joe show everything's amazing check me out with my awesome job and my great life and everything's fantastic and oh my god aren't i the hottest thing like ever um and i'm i'm not proud of those moments um but at the same time really again it was just all part of finding that balance you know that i got so carried away with my mask that it became like a separate personality at one point. <laughs> and then, you know, the process of reining it back in and actually finding that the mask had helped me grow underneath it. So at the point that I was able to remove it and strip away that layer of bullshit, I then find my kind of true honesty rather than that hyper reality. Have you read the book, The Alter Ego Effect? I have not. So that is going to be my gift to you for appearing on my podcast. Yeah, I love presents. So there's a, I'm not going to ruin the book for all the listeners. I'm going to put the link in the podcast notes and I'm going to send it to Joe. But it's a fascinating book about actually sometimes we do need to put a small mask on. And that mask is fine. It's not like you're being inauthentic. It's it's what Beyonce does when she goes on stage. It's what um, TV presenters do. They don't act the same way on TV that they do at home with their kids. 
Right. It's not them being inauthentic. It's just going into a personality that enables you to communicate. Yeah. But it's, it's really interesting that you now know the difference between Joe's sort of fitness public face, Joe's at home face, and then Joe's bullshit phase where... <laughs> and it, all it is is degree of mask, I think. Yeah, it is. It, it's, yeah, it's almost like, you know, you've got... You've got one which you can take off and put back on, and that's kind of like the healthy one. But then there's another one which kind of glues itself to your face. <laughs> <laughs> and if you let, if you leave that one on too long, oh dear, um, then you end up in a little pickle where you kind of lose track of of what's real and what's not. And you know, then you lose that connection with other human beings because you're too busy putting on a show. So true. Mm. I love that. Right. I've got another question. I keep I thinking it. of all the questions I've got to ask you. And then I get, I, then I think of one I haven't actually written down, but we'll go with this <laughs> one. So I know for a fact that you are an amazing personal trainer. Well, thank you very much. And you get really good results. So a particular bugbear of mine is I get so fed up with the bullshit that personal trainers spout on social media, particularly Instagram. Oh, there is, there is plenty of it, yes. What do you think ultimately leads to success for a client? One thing? Yeah. Consistency. That's it. And that's, you know, regardless of what it is they're after. You know, and it doesn't matter what kind of coaching it is either. <laughs> Uh, it, it doesn't just apply to fitness, you know, it can apply to anything. You know, why is, what makes a successful author? <laughs> Consistency. You know, what makes a successful dancer? Consistency. What makes a successful um, bee breeder? <laughs> uh, I what they called it? It's, it's got a better name. Yeah, it's got a name, hasn't it? Yeah, a panda breeder. Let's go with them instead. Um, but, you know, a consistent approach and a consistent um, set of beliefs as well um, is the one thing that will get a client success. Um, the problem is, again, it's society's fault. Um, you know, we're encouraged to seek a quick fix. We, you know, we're encouraged to find a shortcut or an easy way around, you know. And so, you know, when someone says to me, what is the best way I can do this? I'm like, by giving yourself some time and taking a consistent approach. And everyone's like, wow, that's the least glamorous thing anyone's ever said. <laughs> because no one wants to hear, well, I suggest you put in some hard work and you take a bit of time over it. <laughs> um, especially when it comes to, you know, guys wanting to build muscle or, you know, enter bodybuilding competitions, that kind of thing. Of course, you know, you can't, you're not doing that overnight, my friend. No, no. You know, I don't have a lot of those growth clients. Mine are more kind of loss based because of my own experience, I think. But, you know, I see guys come in the gym and they ask, uh, they ask for help. And, you know, they seem to think that in 12 weeks they can be ready for their first um, physique show. Well, no, not unless you've already, you know, been training for five, six, seven, ten years. You know, you need to have put in the work to start with before you're actually going to be able to strip down to something that is going to win a competition um it's 
but that's you know that's one of those things that usually people come around to you know after a while but the hardest thing of all is keeping somebody consistent when they're having uh, one or two to write things off instantly as a failure um and there really is no failure if you have a consistent approach and that's you know that's something that people forget because they're so they have these ingrained beliefs about it working um you know what are your goals i want to be fit well i've got some bad news because that is one never-ending spectrum my friend like Tell There's me no what, end point, is there? Right. Tell me, tell me at what point of fit you want to stop because there it just goes on forever. I'm like, you want to be an Olympic athlete? You want to compete at world level? And they're like, no, 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 I just want to be a bit fit. Oh, okay. So you want to run 50 meters? No, 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 further than that. Okay, so you know, you need to quantify it. If you know you have a fitness goal your consistent approach is going to be framed around what your goal is. So, you know, the approach comes hand in hand with the goal, I suppose. And these are things I try to explain at a first meeting rather than further down the line when someone's already feeling a little bit disheartened, you know, but you have to be honest with people. I'm not, I'm not going to tell anyone they're going to lose three stone in the first five weeks because chances are they're not, Mm. but they're certainly not if they don't keep trying. I love your approach. And I think, I don't think I know, it is the only way. And sometimes that's hard. It, it's actually hard to coach someone with that belief because you've got to be a freaking good coach. You've got to identify when all the down points, someone, or the hurdles someone's going to come up against, you've got to deal with them when they, you know, your client, I've had this before, a client rings you in tears saying i stepped on the i'm supposed to be seeing you tomorrow and i've stepped on the on the scales and i've actually put on you know a pound or two pounds it's that ability to communicate to allay someone's fears to be really brutally honest with someone and to keep them going on that journey it's really hard i think you know i think one of the things i've probably learned from you actually um is that there's no point being the one with all the information you know, the most useful thing you can teach a client is how to get the information for themselves. And that, that means pulling it out from within yourself, you know, so teaching them to call themselves out on their own bullshit, you know, to, to actively seek to understand when they're in denial or when they're struggling, the real reason that they're struggling, not, oh, well, you know, I, I ate chocolate all night because I was um, bored. You know what? I genuinely believe no one eats because they're bored. They eat because they're afraid of being alone. They eat because they're afraid of existing in a certain space. They, they do it for any number of reasons. But to them, it's easier to believe they're bored than it is to face the fear that they're eating away. And, you know, it's giving them these prompts and these thoughts to address the things that they hadn't considered. And, you know, sometimes they'll come to me with one goal <laughs> and they'll leave with a very different one. Mm. Um, and, 
you know, it's, it's a really interesting process because nobody's the same, but also no one realizes how completely not alone they are. Goosebumps again, Joe. You always do it to me. Well, it's probably because the sun's going down, so it's getting a little cool. <laughs> um, changing from fitness, the last time we met, I spent, you, you walked into one of my shops and I, for the first time, actually spent a little time with you and your kids. Yeah. And when you left, I was so struck by just how bright, how kind, how balanced, just how wonderful they were. Um, I think they're a massive credit to you. Now, I know you're probably going to say something facetious in a minute, but... I really was, yeah. I had like three different things. I think your kids are a massive credit to you. I don't have kids and I know nothing about raising kids, but what on earth did you teach them or how have you parented them that's resulted in them being so, I mean, they walked into the shop, they were just so confident and bright and I think confidence was the most. Well, let's not forget. <laughs> It's a chocolate shop. <laughs> and if, if there's one place, any child of mine will feel at home. <laughs> um, they're, they're really lovely things that you say. You know, I, I find parenting really hard. I um, probably spent at least the first... No, you know what? I, I just find it really hard. I find it really hard. I find it really difficult to manage. I am not still entirely sure that I'm cut out for motherhood and one of them is nine years old um I as with everything I do my best and sometimes I fall short and when it comes to the responsibility of another human life that is even more devastating than feeling like you've fallen short with your own um so you know I try to make reparations where it's appropriate and I try not to lose my shit when I don't need to but you know above all they need boundaries you know children need boundaries and I try to assert them without being overbearing and I don't always achieve that <laughs> um but like anything one day at a time just keep trying stay consistent in my approach and I just persevere because it is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Well, I think you're brilliant and I'm going to stand by that. Um, <laughs> what are you up to now, business-wise? Tell me what you're up to. Oh, well, I am working out of a gym in Froome in Somerset and um, I'm loving it. It's a wonderful environment. There's a lot of different, um, different disciplines, I suppose, um, that go on there and a lot of different characters, um, different um, fit pros. I mean, you know, the, there's, uh, you know, there's a boxing community and there's a strongman community, there's um, bodybuilding going on and there's um, wow. fit classes. And, you know, there's a lot of, it's a really varied atmosphere and environment and there's um, so much experience and wisdom to benefit from but in so many different circles and spheres. And it's, there's a great buzz, you know? I love being around people and I love being involved um, with 
other people's stuff even though you know i'm not actively a, kind of a part of it it's just it's it's really nice to be um learning all the time from other people but also have that kind of experience to draw on and just bounce off you know when you need to, to let off a bit of steam sometimes um, so that's kind of like the, where the bulk of my main work lies and i have um i have a couple of international online clients um so i do uh, a bit of online coaching um both to do with fitness and mindset um and i find that really fulfilling um i really i'm a big talker i don't know if you can tell <laughs> but <laughs> i do i love to talk um and i love hearing other people come to realizations yeah I, I love that feeling that they're making progress in their own mind. So um, that aspect of my work, I love. Um, and I've just been invited to Yoga Fit Retreats in Ibiza in October um, to do some presenting there. Um, and that's, uh, that's, for me, one of the most exciting things that's happened this year, I think. Um, because it's something I've always wanted to do and I've always been that little bit too afraid to jump off and I think it's going to be wonderful for me um I'm super super excited and uh I really hope that I can do more of that kind of thing in the coming years um because I would like to spread myself further around I think, I mean, as someone who's done Yoga Fit and presented there, I think you're going to love it. But more importantly, I think they're going to love you because you've got such a different approach to fitness. I think you'll be, I was going to say a breath of fresh air, not a breath of fresh air, because there are some incredible presenters there. I think you'll offer something a bit different. Just that, I don't know, that Joe Beale. Yeah, I'm not going to say much more because I'm, I'm so excited for you to go and do it. And I can't, because I know loads of people who are going, I can't wait to hear how you get on. You're going to be amazing. Oh, thank you. Um, couple of final questions. And this one is something I ask everyone. I always ask my clients. It's something I talk about myself. Mm -hmm. What scares you? Well, it's interesting because we touched on it earlier, actually. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uncertainty still i find quite challenging to deal with um but it's one of those things that i'm aware of and i try to address you know because i don't think it's healthy to be afraid of uncertainty when actually nothing is certain so you know the more you try to have control over everything the more unfulfilled you're going to be you know because you're fighting a losing battle. It's like perfection, you know, when you're always seeking something that you can't attain, you, you end up empty. So, um, yeah, you know, uncertainty has always figured quite highly, but it's one of those things I'm quite consciously trying to let go of. Um, and I've done quite a lot of reading around um, Buddhist principles of non-attachment, that sort of thing. And I find that a really useful discipline to immerse myself in when I find I'm getting a little bit about the whole process. Um, I have I have quite a lengthy list of fears, um, but you know they're all they're all that quite. Um, you know we we've gone over quite a lot of them. You know I used to I used to fear women full stop, like just all of them. 
<laughs> and now I, I'm more afraid of missing out on forging relationships with people, you know, that have lost out on in the past, you know, simply through the sphere, mm. you know, that actually everything that you fear ends up being a waste in the end because you're always avoiding something if you're afraid of it you're always trying to go around it or circumnavigating it in some way and that leads to you know missed opportunity and regret and you know all the wasted years you know and so every time i confront a fear now I'm not, I'm not talking about necessarily in a permanent way, but every time one pops up in my head, I try to, I try to find its source, you know, and I try to address what it is I'm trying to escape or what it is I'm trying to um, not feel. Because, you know, it, everything always happens in these big circles, doesn't it? You know, you start with one thing and you come back to another. You know, I spent a long time just being afraid of food. Like, literally like not wanting to eat just wanting to rule it out of my life altogether because i just found dealing with it too hard um and now i realize that even if i had found a way to completely eliminate food from my life that wouldn't have solved the problem you know so it's you know letting yourself feel what you need to feel rather than perpetuating that state of fear you know and I would say that probably if I was to give you the list of all my fears, it would make me appear a little unbalanced and you'll probably need a few more podcasts just to get them all in. <laughs> um, but having fears, I don't think is the issue. It's when you refuse to face them that it becomes a problem. I love that, Joe. I love it. So we're coming to the last very few questions. And the first one is, tell me something that most people don't know about you. Um, well, uh, despite the fact that I don't come from a sporting background and I was never picked more than last for any team at school, I have held two Guinness World Records for team participation in fitness events. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I, uh, uh, the first one was um, the world's largest Zumba class um, a number of years ago, uh, which was subsequently broken, but it was still held for nine months, so it counts. And the most, most recently, I also was involved in a group participation um, world record for the most number of individual rowers rowing 500 meters in a 24 hour period. And that, was, that was here in Froome. And uh, it was an incredibly well organized event, absolutely fantastic. And I believe we still hold it. So, haha. Don't let that one go, Joe. No. Um, <laughs> what book is your most recommended to people? If you could give well, one book to people, what would it, what would it be? Um, it would it would be in the realm of Hungry Ghosts by Gabor Mate, which uh, may seem a peculiar choice, but 
has really changed it's really shaped the way that i think about um addictions not just in terms of their root and their kind of purpose um but also the breadth of addictions you know that he opens up the whole kind of um sphere of addiction not you know outside drugs and alcohol food to um, you know, compulsions that we don't think of necessarily as harmful, you know, like retail, you know, online shopping. Um, but, you know, when you get back to the, the way that the behavior is, is being um, conducted, it comes back to that emotional squashing and, you know, that escape from feeling, you know, all of these things and then he um he basically believes that all addictive behavior is rooted in some form of trauma um and again the the word trauma is opened up to a much larger um definition in the sense that it can be the emotional state of a parent when you were growing up you know it can be um just the political climate of you know a certain era of your early years you know all of these things feed into the way that you behave in your kind of later life and the way that these compulsions and addictions um can be broken through a greater understanding of who you were and how you grew um and i just find it i find it really compelling and uh, everyone I know that I've recommended the book to has also found it to be so. So, yeah, I would wholeheartedly. Yeah, I would say it was in my top three books I've ever read. I think it's a stunning, stunning book. And even if someone, because I've got a very, very addictive nature, but even for people that don't have, even for people that may be living with someone that's an addict, you know, whether yeah. that's food, drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it is, it's yeah. it's written so beautifully and anyone, regardless of what they, I don't know, have struggled with or whatever it is, can find something out of that book. It's yeah. stunning. And I'm going to yeah. put the link to it in the show notes so that, guys, if yeah. you're listening, I, I mean, Jo's, she's chosen it as her book and I would, I would choose it as one of mine as well. Um, <laughs> oh, so. and that, I think that's crazy because we've never talked about that book either. No. So I, I just... I, yeah, that fills me with glee. I also, I love the way he speaks. I love his passion about his work. To me, you know, he could, he could probably say anything and I'd believe him. <laughs> but it's, it's such a unique perspective in um, a sea of, Quackery. you know, almost, yeah, and also conflicting psychological um, theories. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't say my way is right. He's, you know, he positions himself more like this is maybe just a different way to think about it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to finish up with one question and it's a question that I think about a lot. I think about it most days actually, which is if it was your last week on this earth, what yeah. would you want to teach the rest of the world? I spent ages thinking about something really similar the other day and you know there's so many things that you think oh I'd love that to be my legacy I'd, I really 
you know, I'd love to uh, leave the world with this parting thought. And actually, you know, I, I just think that if you approach everything that you do with love and, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be an overbearing passion, but just approach everything you do with love, then you're never going to feel failure. And if nobody felt failure, then we wouldn't tie ourselves up in these knots, like wishing we'd done things differently or wishing we could change things. So if I could leave the world without kind of feeling any sense of regret, you know, I think that would be, that would be great. Just, just for everyone to be more consistent in their approach, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just to look at everything you do. Like, here is my input to it. I am giving it the time, the attention, the care it deserves. You know, I have enjoyed being a part of this process, whatever that process is, you know, like me with parenting, for instance. I just, I go in every day. (laughs) I go in every day to give it everything I've got every day. And I know I'm not failing at the end of the day because I've tried. And I know that in, you know, at least 98% of the areas of my life right now, I go all in, I try, I take love to it. And I don't feel like I'm failing because I'm always trying. And that I think is what I would like to leave the world with. You are amazing. I tell you the time, I don't know how long we've been talking for, but the time has literally just gone like that. I feel like I could interview you for hours. I and the, talk to you. <laughs> but the reason for that is because even at your darkest time, you always had something to teach me back. And so for that, I'm going to bring this interview to an end. And I'm going to say to you that I really think you are one in, truly one in a billion. You have taught me so much. We have laughed. We have cried together. I've shouted at you, not too loudly, but I remember getting quite cross with you. (laughs) But I think you are someone really quite remarkable. And I'm going to put all the links in the show notes, um, how you can get in contact with Joe. Uh, If you're interested in PT and coaching with Joe, I can highly recommend it. She is based in Freeman, Somerset, but she does online coaching too. And if you want someone who really does walk her talk, then you need to get coached by Jo because she is absolutely superb. So I'm going to say goodbye to you, Jo. Thank you very much. I have no doubt I'm going to get you on this podcast again. I can just oh, feel it. I would love to. That would be an absolute pleasure. I've had such a good time. Thank you so much, Bridget. That's, Thank you. They were some lovely words. You were an absolute sweetheart. I hope you have a great evening. Thank you.